And I can't be more proud as a pastor of what God is doing in our people's lives. Not just young people, but older people. And uh, God is raising up people from our church family and they're ministering all over the place. And we've got ministry around the world, which is really exciting. You know, there are many amazing situations that are recorded in Scripture. I love the Bible. I love the stories and the narratives and the experience of others because we learn so much from other people's story. Do we not? And probably one of the most challenging moments in the life of a very godly leader was when the Assyrian Empire attacked the kingdom of Judah under the leadership of King Hezekiah. Now, if you study the Old Testament, you'll quickly discover, or maybe you won't quickly, I'll even help you, I'll tell you. But all the northern kings from the tribe of Israel, they all were idolaters and they all didn't worship God and they all did evil in the eyes of God. And then even in the southern part of the divided kingdom, most of the kings of Judah were not good kings. And then you have a few that were just outstanding. And one of the godly kings, and one of the most outstanding kings was a man by the name of King Hezekiah. And the Bible says that, you know, He had a crisis in the 14th year of his life and ministry there in in, in Israel. And it says in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 13, it says, In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and he captured them. Now this is a crisis. Your whole kingdom has collapsed. And all that's left is the capital city, And now it's encircled by the Assyrian Empire and they are under siege. This is a crisis moment in his life. Now, a little earlier in the chapter, it says this in verse 5. And it gives us a picture of who this man is. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. How many say that's a high standard that this man is living out. In other words, this is one of God's choice servants. How many can see that? This is well spoken of. I mean, this guy's doing everything God wants him to do. He's doing all the right things. Then it says in verse 6, he held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. So now here's a man that's doing everything right and his world is coming undone. And so often when that happens in our lives, we're doing all the right stuff. The first question in our mind is, why are these bad things happening to me when I'm doing all the right things? Anybody ever ask yourself that question? I'm doing all the right stuff, and yet the wheels seem to be coming off, and we're we're wondering, what's going on here, God? You know, because in our minds, we have this sense that, you know, I'm doing what God wants me to do. It should be easy. It should be a blessed state. There shouldn't be any difficulty. But I want to, I'm trying to shatter that myth in your mind. And we need to shatter it because, you know, so often I hear communication from Christian speakers that give us the idea that once you become a Christian, everything is going to be good. I'm going to make a different argument. Sometimes when you and I are doing the very best, we're doing exactly what God wants us to do, we have the greatest challenges in our lives. And the reason being, here's the reason. One, we have a spiritual adversary. We need to understand that. We are in a battle. And we keep forgetting that. You know? So here's what the Apostle Peter tells us in his letter. He says in 1 Peter 5.8, Be self-controlled and alert. 
Now, isn't that true that in our lives, one of the temptation is that we get, you know, we get a little indifferent about the things of God. We're just enjoying life. Life is good, right? And we kind of get lulled into a state of indifference and apathy. It can happen. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we need to know that we have an adversary who's looking to destroy us. And we need to keep that in our mind. Now, a few weeks ago, we were in India, and we actually drove through a jungle. And when we got there, we stopped, and there were all these monkeys running around, and they were, I mean, they came right up to the vehicle, we're taking all these pictures. I mean, it's, we're in the jungle, you see? And the driver, uh, Patel, he says to me, he says, listen, a week ago, a young woman was in this very place when a tiger came and actually killed her. So how many know the jungle is dangerous? Does anybody know that? The jungle is dangerous. And so when you're in the jungle, because a lot of times people in this jungle, I saw them, they were out there swimming and doing different things. He was just saying, listen, yes, this is a place where people get out. This is a place where people do things. But he reminded me that the jungle is a dangerous place. I want to declare to you today that life is a jungle and it's a dangerous place. And sometimes we forget that and we think it's Disneyland. You know what I'm saying? And we're all upset because, you know, I'm standing in line and things aren't working out the way I wanted to. And I'm saying, why are we surprised when difficulties and challenges come our way as a person of faith? When we recognize that there's an adversary seeking to devour us and destroy us and our family and our church and our city and our province and our nation. We need to be alert. We need to wake up. It says here in verse 9, we're to resist the devil. We're to stand firm in the faith. Last week I preached, when we have moral courage, we can resist evil. And if we don't have moral courage, evil continues to ascend. How many recognize evil is ascending right now? And even in our city, I was looking at the paper yesterday and this morning. And it says, you know, we have one of the highest rates of crime in our entire nation. Does everybody know that? This is not a safe place, folks. So you need to be aware of that. But then it says, and, I, and, and what really stood out to me in this text is that because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. He's giving them a word of encouragement. He's saying, well, yeah, stand, but I want you to know you're not alone. And we need to understand as Christians that around our world, people of faith are struggling and going through tremendous persecution and difficulty. So why should we feel in North America that we should be absolved from all suffering when the rest of the world is suffering because of their faith? He's saying, no, we're in this together. And we need to identify with one another in our suffering. So we get that understanding. So we need to stop asking the question, why me? Okay? I want you to drop that question. Because it doesn't do us any good. We're in it anyways. And I'm saying to you this morning, why you is because you're walking with God. Why you is because you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. 
Why you is because God is going to use this challenge in your life to reveal himself just like he did King Hezekiah. And when we continue on reading the story, you know, Hezekiah, when he heard what was happening to his kingdom, it says he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth. This is, you know, language that tells me that he began to fast and pray. That's what you do. You tear your clothes as an expression of grief. And when you put on sackcloth, that's, a, that's an expression that you're actually going into a mode of, of grief and you start fasting. And Hezekiah began praying. He went into the temple of the Lord. He enlisted the prayers of the prophet Isaiah. Later on, we read what happens. It says that, you know, God will hear his prayers and then God answered his prayer. Look what happens in the middle of the crisis. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp to death. He destroyed them. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. Now, I don't know what came through. I don't know if it was a disease, a plague or something. They just all died. What an amazing deliverance. And think about now what happened as a result of this. It says, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew, and he returned to Nineveh, and he stayed there. Now, if you know anything about the history, Assyria at that time was a great empire. They they had actually destroyed all the nations around them, but there was one nation that withstood the Assyrian empire. You know what that nation was? It was the nation of Judah because they had trusted in God. And God now was revealing himself to all the nations because all the other nations actually believed in many gods, but none of their gods could keep them and protect them from this Assyrian empire. But the God of Israel revealed himself strong. And so all the nations knew something unusual had happened because militarily, Assyria was a superior power to the the nation of Judah. But because they trusted God, God delivered them. I mean, that's amazing. Who got credit for all of this? God did. Can I just say this, that when you and I walk through a time of challenge and difficulty and we're praying and crying out to God and God answers our prayer, guess who gets credit? God does. That's a powerful thing. And God wants to reveal himself in our inopportune situations. You know, think about all the stories in the Bible that every miracle came as a result of importunity. What that means is every miracle came in a time of difficulty. The Israelites were at the Red Sea. What happened? The army of Egypt was bearing down on them and God opened up the Red Sea. And as they crossed through on dry ground, Egyptians tried the same trick. They were drowned. How many see it's always in the moment of difficulty that miracles begin to happen? So folks, you know, a lot of times we go, well, I I would love to see a miracle. I never say that because I know what that means. That means I have to have a great difficulty before I have the miracle. You see? How many realize that? But what I'm trying to say to us is, yes, there will be challenges in our lives, but when we get through the challenge, we are going to get on the other side and we're going to see the glory and the power of Almighty God. That's the good news, and we need to be aware of that. Now, what can we learn from King Hezekiah's situation? that there's a power that needs to be activated in our life to protect us from the onslaughts of the enemy. And in Ephesians, we discover that it is prayer that activates the spiritual armor of the Christian. In verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6, which is our text this morning, it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions 
with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. John MacArthur says, Prayer is the very spiritual air that the soldiers of Christ breathe. It's the all-pervasive strategy in which warfare is fought. Do you know what prayer is? It's an acknowledgement of our insufficiency. It's an expression of humility because it's showing that we're dependent on God. Do you know, I'm going to say this for a lot of us because we need to hear this. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. How many know God's a better worker than we are? Isn't that good? So, you know, the thing that I have learned most as I've journeyed with God for over 40 years is I find myself praying more. I just realize it because that's what it takes to see things get accomplished. You need God to do it. You need God to work in situations. You know, so often we have, you know, I've been preaching for over 30 years, obviously, and I recognize that preaching alone doesn't change people's lives. How many know that's true? That doesn't change anybody. But what I've noticed is that when we start praying and God's spirit starts working, then God's spirit takes his word and it brings about transformation in the human heart. And that's why for over 20 some odd years now, I've met with men before the service. And we have cried out to God on behalf of the people that come to the services that God would work in a very supernatural way and a very spiritual way and would begin to speak into your innermost being so that it would not just be the words of a human being, but would be the word of God speaking into your spirit, bringing about transformation into your life and that you would grow through the experience and that you would develop. In the spiritual battle, we must understand there are two ingredients for spiritual victory, a spirit-empowered word and a spirit-directed prayer. So what do we mean by praying in the spirit? John Stott says, prayer prompted and guided by him, by the spirit. It means that we're praying in agreement with and empowered by the spirit. In other words, God is the one that's directing this praying. When we pray in the spirit and we're going to see answers, we need to pray in accordance to God's will. How many think that's good? You've got to pray what God wants. A lot of our prayers are what we want. We've got to get in line with what God wants. And listen to what John writes to us in 1 John. This, I love this verse. It says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So let me just simplify this or shorten it up really quickly. All I need to do is pray God's will and I have the answer. And where do I discover God's will? In his word. And so if I start praying God's word, I'm praying God's will and God's, I have the confidence God's going to do what I'm asking. And this could really change our prayer lives. And that's why when people come to me and say, Pastor, I don't know how to pray. I say here, prayer, prayer lesson 101, open your Bible. Here, the Psalms, middle of the book. That's the Old Testament prayer book. Start reading those Psalms and then make them your prayers. That's the beginning point. Just start praying them and making them the prayer for you, your family. That's what I do. I pray for those Psalms. I make them my prayers. Whatever that's written there, I make that my prayer for myself, for my family, for my church family, from our fellowship of churches. I just start praying those prayers and make those our prayers. 
And I have the confidence that when I'm praying that way, God is listening to me and he says, that's exactly what I want to do, Paul, and I'm happy to do it because that's my will. That changes the confidence level in your praying, does not? And I don't wonder, is this what God wants? I know it's what God wants because he says it's what I want. And I'm praying according to God's will. So now here in the close of this letter of Ephesians, Paul gives us three expressions of a spirit-empowered prayer. First of all, we're to pray continuously. Now, this means that we're to pray at all times. Does that mean that I'm supposed to pray 24-7, 365 days a week? That's how some people interpret this. No, that's not what it means. That's not what it means, folks. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians it says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 1 Thessalonians says we're to pray continually or pray unceasingly. Which, what, what is he really basically saying? He says, keep on praying. That's what we need to do. Now, I want you to think about how your day goes. You know, when, when Patty and I are having a day together, I don't talk to her 24-7. She doesn't talk to me 24-7. You know, sometimes we'll, we've been gone on trips together and we haven't talked for 15, 20, maybe an hour has gone by. We're just enjoying the scenery. But throughout the day, we're, we're together. Okay, there's a presence of that person. And we'll, then something will come to mind and we'll make a comment or we'll have a conversation and then we'll move on to a different conversation. Is this making sense? So there's conversation, but there's non-conversation, but we're in the presence of each other. This is what it means to pray continually, that I'm aware of God's presence with me at all time and I can break into conversation with God at any moment. That's praying without ceasing. That means I'm aware that God is with me today and as I'm confronted by a comment, a challenge, a difficulty, I'm actually bringing that situation to God. How many of you say, that's the way I operate, that's the way I walk, that's the way I fly. I just walk with God every day, I got my mind there, and yeah, I've got other things I'm thinking about making decisions, but during the day, when I run across something, I just say, hey Lord, I need help here. Lord, I don't understand what I should do here. Give me wisdom over there. Lord, you know, this person's really struggling, I can see it. I can look at their countenance, I can see that they're going through a hard time, and I start praying for them. How many think that's amazing, that we could just live like that? You see, that's what it means to pray continuously. We recognize God is with us at all times. And then Jesus, to drive this point home, gives us a parable. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, he tells the story of the disciples, to the disciples a parable, showing them that should always pray and not to give up. How many here you just feel like sometimes you get really discouraged? Anybody here get discouraged? Anybody here want to give up? Ever feel like giving up? How many have ever felt like giving up? I got my hand up. You know, I've, I've been around for a long time. But you know what I've noticed? I have less of that emotion now. You go, well, why is that, Pastor? I pray more. You see, when you're praying, you won't be giving up. And if you're giving up, it's because you're not praying. It's real simple. You know, I can, I can say this to people. You know, how many here, without raising your hand, you can say, you know, I'm having relationship problems with someone. I'm having relationship difficulties or I'm having marriage difficulties or I'm having relationship problems in my family or I'm having relationship problems at work. Let me just tell you something. The moment you invite God into that situation, things will begin to change. You know, would to God that every couple in this church would be praying together. Would to God that would be the case. That we would just spend time praying and bringing our situations before God. You know, so often we are, we are just not 
taking advantage of the greatest resource of available, and that's the presence of God in our relationships. You know, if we're praying together, it'll bring us closer to each other. You'll be on the same page. You'll be zeroing in in prayer, targeting the issues that you're faced with. But so often what happens in marriages is people are starting to bicker and fight with each other. We make each other the enemy rather than realizing we're not the enemy. The enemy is against us and that these challenges are designed to bring us together and that they're designed to help us pray together and focus on Almighty God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, our ultimate position as Christians is tested by the character of our prayer life. Isn't that true? It is. Luke 18, 8. This is how Jesus concludes the parable. I love this. He said, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So somehow, prayer and faith go together. You see, if I'm praying, it's an evidence that I have faith in God. How many know that's true? But if I'm not praying, it's probably because I don't have a lot of faith. I don't have a lot of confidence in God. I'm not really trusting him, right? You know, I think one of the struggles we're having in North America, here it comes. The biggest struggle we're having is because we have too much of this good life. That's our biggest problem. You go, what? I want more, yeah. But I like what uh, John MacArthur says. It's so easy to be satisfied with physical blessings that we have little desire for spiritual blessings and to become so dependent on our physical resources that we feel little need for spiritual resources. How many can say that's true? Is that true? Of course it is. What, what he's saying is because we have so much, we learn to enjoy what we have and we make the assumption that because we have physical needs met that we're all okay. Can I just tell you something? You can have every physical need met and still be bankrupt. You can have every physical need met in your life and still feel emptiness in your soul. You can feel like there's something drastically missing in your life. And I know that that's true because I see it. Some very wealthy people are very unhappy in life and they're searching for some sort of significance and meaning in their life because physical things alone cannot satisfy the human heart because you and I weren't just designed as a human body. We were designed as a person made in the image of God, like God. We are a spiritual being and we will only be satisfied when the spirit of the living God is ruling and reigning in our hearts. And if God's spirit is not ruling and reigning in your hearts, you will not be satisfied. You know what's amazing? We have the privilege of travel. It's a, it's a grace that God has brought into my life. And I see other parts of the world. And you learn from other cultures. And one of the things that's happened over the last uh, you know, 17 years is that I've been in India 10 times. No, 17, 14 years. I've been there 10 times. And when I go to Dr. Thomas's uh, ministry there, and I'm in his home, I'm in the school, I'm teaching the seminarians, the young men and women that are training to be Christian leaders in the nation. I've been doing that for a long time. All of the fourth and year, fifth year students, those are the only ones I teach. They're at the top of the level. They come for prayer at 4.30 a.m. every morning, Monday through Friday. Some of you are groaning already, thinking about that hour. You're saying, you wouldn't catch me there. But I'm going to tell you what happens. No television. No television. No outside activity. Their whole environment 
is so regulated and registered. You know, there's a, there's a habitual life there. They're going to bed at 8.30 at 9 at night. You've either been at a meeting or you have the night off and you're doing homework. You're studying the Bible every single day. You spend all your time praying and studying. How many know that's kind of a unique environment? So you can imagine when these young men, and th- th- none of the girls come in the morning at 4.30, they're there praying every single day. Now, you know, sometimes Dr. Thomas is there and he changes a little bit, but I've been there a lot. And I've been in that prayer meeting a lot. And I can tell you something. I don't speak Hindi. And they all pray in Hindi. So I don't really understand all the prayers. But some of them will pray in English too because they can speak English. And so they'll pray in English. And you go, well, what's their praying? Well, they're praying for the same things over and over again. And I've noticed that. And they don't seem to get tired of doing it. They just seem to be crying out to God. But then I remember the culture that they're in. They're in the midst of great persecution. They're in the midst of physical, you know, they don't have everything they need physically. And so for them, when they're praying for their food, listen, they're praying for their food. You and I give thanks for our food. They're praying for their food. How many know your praying changes? Wouldn't that change your prayer if you had to pray for food, not just give thanks for the food you have? Doesn't that change things? Of course it does. All I'm saying is your prayer life changes. And sometimes when we have so much, it's not forcing us to pray the way we ought to. Here's the other thing I'm discovering. I'm doing a study right now in the book of Proverbs. And I'm absolutely um, overwhelmed with this one thought of desire. You and I have desires. And that's what's driving your life, if you don't know that. Your desires are driving your life. I mean, that's true. When people say, I can't do this, I'm going, no, you don't desire to do this. Because I've discovered one thing in life. If you really want something and you really desire it, you go after it. How many say that's true, Pastor? It's about desire. You know what I found fascinating in the book of Proverbs? All desires are legitimate. What? What do you mean? It's the means to attaining the desires that make it either legitimate or illegitimate. Many of the desires that we have are legitimate, but the way we go about trying to attain those desires are wrong. That's what's sinful about it. We have it in the wrong sequence. You know, we go after things in the wrong sequence. We're not, it's not in God's timing. It's not God's will for us at that point. We're not putting God first. We're putting something else first. And that becomes an idol to us. See how all of that stuff gets distorted. See, Satan is not creating temptation. All he's doing is trying to deviate us from legitimate desires to seek them illegitimately. That's what he's doing. You know? So what is our big issue? We have to have the desire for the right thing at the right time. And so we need to ask God to help us with that. We've got to get that straight, that we want to please God above every other desire. When that happens in your life, it changes your whole life. Some of you say, that's not, my, that's not where I'm at right now. Yeah, and that's the problem in your life. When you make God your number one desire and to please him your number one desire, everything else in life starts working correctly. And if you don't do that, your life is out of order. It's broken. It needs to be changed. You're putting something else in the center place. There's only one thing that makes life work, and that's God at the center. That's why Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the other things will be added to you. But we haven't put God first. We've put ourselves first. And you know, that's pretty small in comparison to God. 
And that's why our lives are out of whack. Let me move on here. I've already talked about what does it mean to pray without ceasing. We have to become devoted to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. This leads to, you know, the second expression in praying in the Spirit, with all kinds of prayer. Now, there's different kinds of prayer. There's personal prayer, and even in personal prayer, there's different kinds of praying. And then there's uh, corporate prayer, where we pray together as a Christian. Then there's, you know, praying in tongues. Some people go, what's that, Pastor? Well, Paul writes it this way. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, for this is something I'm doing without thought. I'm praying. The Spirit of God is praying through my life. I don't understand. So what... So Paul says, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. Now, some people get all excited about praying in tongues. Let me just explain something to you. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came down, everybody spoke in tongues. Did everybody know that? And who's, who's the all people there? Well, there was Peter and John and James and all these guys. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Do you know Mary was a tongue talker? How many know that? She spoke in tongues. That kind of shocks a lot of people, you know. Right? And then you go to Paul, the apostle, and he, he wasn't there on the day of Pentecost, but when he had the Spirit come upon him, he spoke in tongues. Look what it says here in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14. He says, listen, he said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul obviously spoke in tongues. But then he says this, but in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligent words to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongues. In other words, there's a place for it. So Paul prayed in tongues. And you know what? That's a good thing to do. How many have ever had an experience where you didn't know what to pray for? You didn't know how to pray. You just ran out of words. You didn't even know what to say. Well, that's a good time to pray in tongues. You know, prayer is also the longing of the heart. Do you know sometimes you don't even have to use words and God knows you're praying? You have an ache in your soul. You're just crying out to God. God can feel the pain inside of you. That's a prayer. You know, a lot of my praying, I don't even say it out loud. I'm saying it in my mind. But God's listening. He's hearing my thoughts. You know, here's something you, you need to know. The devil doesn't know your thoughts. How many know that? He does not know your thoughts. You know why you think he knows your thoughts? Because he's putting his thoughts in your mind. So you think he knows your thoughts. No, he's just shooting his fiery arrows at you. When I get a thought like that, I go, that's not mine. I don't like that. That's a disgusting thought. I'm throwing that thing aside. I'm bringing that thought down and bringing it into captivity to Christ. That doesn't come from me. I hate that. Have you ever had that experience where you go, yuck, where'd that come from? It's not mine. I'm not taking ownership over that thought. That's coming from the pit, you know? Listen to what uh, Paul says in Romans. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. I've had moments in my life where I was so distraught by something that I couldn't even communicate. I was literally groaning inside of my soul. That's what he's talking about. That's prayer. You know, or we can pray in a structured way. Look at how the disciples were taught to pray by Jesus. Remember the prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. You see, that's how some people pray. It's just rote. No, it's designed to teach us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Think about that for a minute. That's my dad in heaven. That's the one I can come to with my problems. Andrea phones me this week, right? She's crying. I'm listening. We're talking. And we prayed. She goes, thanks, Dad. I feel so much better, right? 
Yeah, I'm her earthly dad. But you know what? She has a heavenly father. You and I have a heavenly father. We can take our disappointments, our frustrations, right? Our, dis- our hurts, we can take them to our father. And he cares about us. Hallowed be your name. That means I'm acknowledging the name of God. Well, you know, God has many names to reveal characteristics of who he is. And think about this one, you know. You know, here, here he is. He's Jehovah Shalom. That means he's, he's the God of my peace. Isn't that an amazing thing? Lord, I'm so worried about my children. I'm so anxious about my future. I'm so concerned about our finances. I'm so concerned about our marriage. Listen to me now. Lord, you are my peace. Lord, my mind is on you. I'm bringing all my worries to you because I know that you're the God of peace. You can bring healing and hope in this broken situation. Lord, I'm inflicted in my body. You're Jehovah Rapha. You're the Lord that heals us. And Psalm 103 says he's the Lord that heals all of our diseases. Lord, you're capable of doing amazing things in our lives. Lord, I come to you as my healer today. Lord, show mercy to me. Show mercy to my wife. Show mercy to my husband. Show mercy to my children, Lord. Touch their bodies. And then we have corporate prayer. I could go down the Lord's Prayer and preach a whole sermon on that, but I'll stop there. We have corporate prayer. Look at the early church. How did they pray? They prayed together. In chapter 1, verse 14, it says, They all joined together. How? constantly in prayer. Isn't it amazing? They were praying together. It says in verse 24, they prayed, Lord, show, you know the hearts of everyone. Show us which of these two you have chosen. How many think we need discernment and wisdom in making decisions? I'm a leader. I need it all the time. How many here, you run a business or you're the, you're, you know, your you're parents over your children. You need wisdom. Give me discernment, God. Show me what to say. You know, sometimes we just talk. Sometimes we have an experience and something's coming our way and we just start rattling off and we make everything worse. Anybody have ever done that? You're just talking and making things worse? Very few hands went up on that one. (coughs) But you know what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes we need to stop and say, Lord, I don't know what to say or do. Please help me here. Please help me. We could go down. You know, talk about the day of Pentecost. You know, we talked about that earlier. Let me move on to chapter 3, verse 1. They were up, going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Here's a lame man, and, you know, he's asking for alms. He's, he's asking for money. He's a beggar. You know, and I thought about this. Jesus walked by this guy a lot of times. A whole bunch of people have walked by this guy. But this day, while Peter and John are going to prayer, he's... He catches their attention and Peter and John say, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And Peter reached out his hand and lifted him. And a man who had never walked in 38 years stood up and began walking and leaping and praising God. I love that story. You know what that tells me? Miracles are the result of a praying church. We can see miracles begin to happen. Lives begin to change because we pray. Well, we keep going on here, but let me move on to the third expression here real quick. I'm going to make a comment. We're to pray for all saints. How are we doing in this area? Are we watching out for each other? Has God put people on your heart to pray for? Patty said, I got up this morning. She says, really funny. I've been thinking about Rich and Esther Collinridge. This is a nice missionary family. They're the missions pastor at Long Island where we were in May. She goes, I can't get them off my mind. She's praying for them. I said, that's great. Doesn't God do that? Burden you with a person? 
You know, I was telling Dennis, you know, he lost his father. I said, Dennis, I couldn't get you off my mind all week long. Every single day I was praying for you. And more than once, I just couldn't get him off my mind. I just kept praying and praying, Lord, you know, I know this is going to be very painful for Dennis. I know he's a great guy and he loves people and this is going to be hard on him. So I just kept praying. You know, isn't that great that God can burden us for one another? Isn't that what it's about? Wow, it's so great. You know, listen to Paul's pray, praying for others, you know. Uh, Listen to what MacArthur, John MacArthur writes. He said, the spiritually healthy person is devoted to the welfare of others, especially fellow believers. On the other hand, the root of both psychological and spiritual sickness is preoccupation with self. Wow. He says, ironically, the believer is consumed with his own or her own problems, even his or her own spiritual problems. So the exclusion of concern for other believers, suffers from a destructive self-centeredness that not only is the cause of, but is the supreme barrier to the solution of his or her own problems. Usually such selfishness isolates him or her from other believers. You know my prayer for you? That you'll keep growing. You know, how many know when a child comes into the world, they're totally dependent on others, isn't that right? And they're self-centered. They're selfish. They're crying. Hey, they're dependent. They need us. But how many know as they continue to journey through life, what we want to see as a parent is that this child grows and develops, right? I mean, you don't want to be still running at three in the morning when they're 15 years old. (laughs) Feed me, you know? (laughs) Change my diaper. Because something's wrong with this picture, Pastor. That is not healthy, right? But you know, sometimes in the Christian life, we can be a Christian for years and years and years, and we've never grown spiritually. It's just so, we're just so locked in at the very fundamental rudimentary element of the Christian life. We've never matured. You know how I know that? Because we're still all, it's all about us. We've got to get past that, folks. My prayer for you is that you'll grow up. That you'll grow up. I'm going to have a stand as we close the service. So many more things that could be said, but I'm going to just stop there. My time has run out, but I want to just close with this thought, and I'll pray. In the book of Ephesians, where we're preaching from, he was teaching them about spiritual warfare. But then we go to the book of Revelations, and Jesus is speaking to the same church. They did a lot of things right, but then Jesus said, I have one thing against you. Do you know what that one thing was? In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4, it says they had left their first love. You say, what's that? That's intimacy. You know what? I've been, I, it, it's so powerful. The whole Bible is designed around this issue of intimacy far more than we realize. Far more than we realize. God wants intimacy with us, with us his children. He really does. And you know, we can look at marriages. You know what goes wrong? Lack of intimacy. But it starts with communication. You can't really have intimacy without communication. It starts there. We need to communicate. And communication, I'm listening to some lectures by a university professor on effective communication. He goes, it's not just us talking. That's not communication because the other person has to receive. And a lot of times they don't hear or they're not hearing what we're saying or, we're, or they're interpreting in a totally different way. It's really amazing. So, what am I saying? You can't just be talking to God all the time. Sometimes you gotta sit there and you talk and then you gotta be quiet. That's why I have my Bible when I'm doing my prayer time because I like reading. I feel like it's a two-way dialogue. 
I'm reading and I'm incorporating what I'm reading and God can get a chance to talk to me. You know, it's really nice when God straightens me out. It's always better than when Patty does it. <laughs> or somebody else does it, right? I'm just picking up Patty there. But you know what I'm saying? Somebody else comes along and goes, man, you're an idiot. You know, you're going, yeah, I am. But you know what I'm trying to say? It's a lot better when God in the quiet moment of the morning says, you know how you handled that yesterday was wrong? This is what you should have done or you're thinking about it and God's word is filling in your hearts and you go, you know, I need to go to that person and apologize and ask for forgiveness. And you know what that does for that relationship? It brings a healing into that relationship. But we're so busy today doing, doing, doing that we don't take the time to really communicate with God and really listen to God and and really act on what God is showing us. We're just not taking that time. And so there's a lack of real communication with God, a lack of real prayer. And we wonder why we're struggling in this life and why things are so difficult and frustrating at times. Or maybe you're saying, hey, pastor, I'm doing what's right, and yet I'm still going through challenge. Well, I'm going to tell you then, that's because you're, you're affecting the kingdom of darkness. There's a battle going on. Keep doing the good thing. God's going to answer your prayer. He's going to defeat the power of darkness. It will happen. It will happen. But now this morning, with every head bowed and every eyes closed, let me ask the question, how many here say, you know what, Pastor? I can be honest before God, because he already knows this, that there's a lack of spiritual intimacy in my life with God. And that's where I'm at right now. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you. Just raise your hand right now. Just, just be honest before God. Lack of spiritual intimacy with God. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you right now that God would do such a work in your heart that you could say like Jesus from Psalm 40, I delight to do your will. My desire is to please my Father in heaven. Wow. That changes how your life plays out. I can tell you that. It'll really change everything about your life. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your relationship with your children. It'll change your work environment because you will become the solution and not just another contributing problem. God's going to change your life all because you have intimacy with God. Everything changes. Let me pray with you. Father, we want to confess to you, Lord, we've allowed the distractions and the blessings and the good things many times and maybe even the challenges and the painful things to keep us from spiritual intimacy. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us and help us to build healthy habits, healthy habits where we actually begin to spend time with you and we wait on you and we have your word. We have a time where you can speak into our lives and we can pray for others And that you can actually start working in our lives in a very powerful way. Lord, we open our lives. Show us how we can restructure our days to make sure that you're at the heart of it. You're at the beginning of it. You're at the center of it. You're with us day by day and moment by moment. And that we are literally praying in a continuous way. Not because we're praying all the time, but because we're aware of your presence. And that there's such an engagement that we can just start conversing with you at any moment and say, Lord, I need help here. Or, Lord, can you help that person over there? Or when I see the ambulance go by, we can just say, Lord, would you be with that person? I don't know what's going on there, but could you be with them? And then we start living 
in a God consciousness. And we just thank you for that right now, Lord. Just open our hearts to you right now and change our self-centeredness. Break that down right now, Father. Deliver us from that, I pray. And help us to have a Christ-centered heart. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you leave.